And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. Anthony Edwards! Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is I missed this shot, I walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam on a Friday. Friday edition. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. It's the Friday edition of the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Be sure to go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for $3.99 a month. Alex, we have a tied series. Oh, baby. Pivotal Game 5. What a great game. What an incredible game. We will have Sam Amick on this show who was there at the game yesterday to discuss that a little bit more. But Alex, why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of NBA Finals and Game 5? Yes, I mean, that was an incredible game on Wednesday night. In fact, Andrew, I was going to say, we if the Bucks win this, we got to get a real Bucks fan on this show because I have to imagine this has been the most roller coaster experience in any fan's lifetime. This playoff oh, no. run by the Bucks <laughs> is absurd. <laughs> I'm stressed out, and I don't even particularly care if they win or not. Right. Anywho, <laughs> the series is tied 2-2, which means we're heading to a pivotal, Andrew. Pivotal Game 5 in Phoenix. Or is it, Andrew, just how important is Game 5 of the Finals when teams are tied 2-2? To answer this question and help us make some predictions, I look back through NBA Finals history cataloging every Game 5 where teams were tied 2-2. Now, initially, I thought I'd go back like 20 or 30 years, you know, because I've had a busy week at work. My in-laws are in town. Not a lot of free time. (laughs) But, but then they asked me to paint the front door, and I used the podcast as an excuse to get out of that. So now I had some extra time, so I went all the way back to the beginning, Andrew. 1947, the BAA Ooh. Finals, Howie Dalmar, Jerry Rulo, Art Hillhouse. Do you still have your Art Hillhouse jersey, Andrew? <laughs> I've been wearing the Art Hillhouse jersey on the reg lately. So including this year's finals, we have had 84 NBA Finals. I went through them all. First question for you, Andrew. How many of those previous 83 finals do you think have arrived at Game 5 with both teams tied 2-2? Just take a guess Ooh. out of 83. Ooh, uh, 34. Great guess. Correct answer, 29. Okay. An answer that, honestly, isn't that really interesting in either way. Not really a small number, <laughs> not particularly large. Honestly, sounds about right. <laughs> Just some yeah. information for you. So 29 series have entered Game 5 with the teams tied 2-2, 29 final series. The last time it happened actually was 2015, the Warriors' first championship in their most recent run. That was the series where Kevin Love was out, Kyrie got hurt in game one. Quick trivia question for you, Andrew. Who was the leading scorer in game four of the 2015 NBA Finals? Leading scorer. Now, obviously, hmm. I'm asking you this. It can't be LeBron. Why would I ask you a question where the answer is LeBron? That's not interesting. Steph, don't 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 make that your answer, but who would you guess? Huh. 2015. 2015. Is this uh, J.R. Smith? Honestly, that's a great guess. No, it was Timofey Mozgov. He scored yeah. 29 oh, I, points I, I, in a finals game. I kind game. of remember that. Yeah, that's, kind of that remember series that. going six is one of the more impressive losses in LeBron's career. That is absurd. Yeah. Let's talk about what happened in the other games to get some historical perspective. So when a series, when a final series is tied 2-2, Andrew, do you think the series more commonly ends in six games or goes all the way to seven games? What would you guess? Uh, I would say, logically, it 
probably goes to seven games, but I'll say six. Well, you should have stuck with logic because 16 of oh, those no. 29 times, it did go to seven games. 13 ended in six. So history is slightly on our side in terms of getting a seven-game series from the Bucks and Suns. Mm-hmm. What about home court advantage? How big of a benefit is it that Phoenix gets to play at home with all those rowdy fans? Well, the home team has won 20 of those game fives, 69% of the time, a pretty nice advantage, but it still gives the away team about a 30% chance, Andrew. And if we just want to look at recent history, the away team has won four of the last 10 of those game fives. Now, not surprisingly, the team that wins game five has won 21 of the 29 series or 72% of the time. But here's where it gets interesting for Bucks fans, because when the away team wins game five in this scenario we're in the finals it's tied 2-2 the record in the series overall is eight and one so going back by nba finals history if the bucks win game five they will have an 89 percent chance of winning the series the only time an away team won a finals game five in a 2-2 series and then went on to lose the series Way back in 1962 when the Lakers beat Boston in Game 5, but lost in 7. I was actually looking at the box scores for that series. In Game 7, Bill Russell put up a 30-40. and 30-40. and 40, 40 rebounds. And he did it twice in the playoffs. Wow. And he did that time in a Finals Game 7. Okay. So when the home team wins Game 5... They are 13 and 7 in the series overall, which, you know, I think is pretty encouraging for the Bucks, regardless of how game five turns out, and encouraging for fans who are hoping for a long series. Now, before I wrap up this trip down memory lane with finals game fives when the series was tied 2-2, let's hit some of the high points. Because these games have historically produced some of the greatest moments in NBA history. 2005 Spurs Pistons. Maybe you don't think it's the most memorable finals, but that was the game where, with a minute and a half left, Spurs were down four. 34-year-old Robert Ory attacked a Tayshaun Prince closeout and dunked over Rip Hamilton and appeared to hurt yep. his shoulder. But then shortly after, with 5.8 seconds left, Ory hit the game-winning three-pointer to give the Spurs the Game 5 win. And they would go on to win in seven. 1997, Bulls-Jazz, the flu game, Andrew. That was one of these. Michael Jordan, obviously, he scored 38 points, led the Bulls to a 90-88 win in Utah, despite not leaving his bed until an hour before game tip due to bad pizza. 1962, remember that one I just brought up, Celtics-Lakers? Lakers would win game five behind 61 points from Elgin Baylor, which is still the most points scored in an NBA Finals to this day. And lastly, this one is out of order, but I wanted to save it. 1976, Sun-Celtics, triple OT, This is the game that's been called the greatest game in NBA history. And for anyone that grew up reading Bill Simmons on ESPN, you have probably had this game drilled into your subconscious because he would bring it up every other article. I had never watched it, though. But earlier this week, Andrew, I decided to sit down and watch the entire 1976 Finals Game 5, which is available on YouTube. I did not plan to do this, but I had drank two cans of Yerba Mate, Around 5 p.m., and before I knew it, it was 2 a.m., I had nothing to do, I was wide awake, and I was watching a full 40-year-old basketball game. Now, I don't blame anyone who doesn't want to watch the entire game, but if you've never seen it, I would encourage you to go watch the last 19 seconds of the second overtime, which is one of the more insane sequences in NBA history, especially knowing that there is somehow a third overtime coming. A fan attacks one of the refs, runs onto the floor, and physically attacks him, and that is maybe the fourth craziest thing that happens in that 19 seconds. So, in conclusion, I'm very excited about Game 5, Andrew. These are special moments. They don't come along that often, and so I just hope that everyone uh, recognizes what a big deal this is and is able to watch this game this weekend. Yeah, I can't. I cannot wait. I think it's going to be spectacular. And uh, make sure that you're listening to the NBA Daily Ding because we will have an episode as close to after that game is over as possible. So you can listen to the recap there. Let's talk about first time champs, Al. We're going to have a first time champ out of this, whether it's the Suns or Bucks. We're going to have the leader of a franchise get a ring that's never had one before. Uh, everybody knows this is the first time since 1971 that no players in the NBA Finals have previously won a championship. Uh, so I was just I just wanted to look at first-time champs, what age they were, 
and in just an effort to look at do do we expect to see Giannis or Booker in the finals again? Because I think we can all almost like write a narrative that says, yeah, this is cool to see the Suns and Bucks in the finals, but we may never see them again because of the Nets or because of the Lakers or because of the whoever else you want to talk about. But I just want to look historically back at these players uh, and see, do, do we think that Giannis and Booker will be back or is this more of like a blip on the radar type of deal? Uh, so history would argue that guys that are 26 and younger or even 27 and younger that make it to the NBA Finals as a leader of their team go to the finals multiple times. So here's the list of players and their ages from about 1990 to now. So Duncan was 22 when he won his first title. LeBron is 27. Kobe was 21. Shaq was 27. Durant, 28. Curry, 26. Kawhi, 22. Wade, 24. Uh, Hakeem Olajuwon is is an exception to that. He was 31 when he won his first title. Uh, You can even call those moments exceptional just because Jordan wasn't there at all. Uh, and then you look at some first-time champs that were a little bit older. Like It took Dirk a long time to get over that hump. He was 32 years old. Paul Pierce, they had to get Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett on the same team. They were all in their 30s whenever they won their title, and they only won one. Uh, and so I kind of asked the question, is this – is Chris Paul going to be like the reason, like the vehicle to which they get there? Cause then you could throw Chris into that group easily. Right. As like one time NBA finals winners right. and what they've been able to do. But I tend to think that maybe Booker is more of the leader. I mean, we watched what he did last night in game four. He was unbelievable to me. He's closer to a Kobe than he is to another exception to the rule, Chauncey Billups, who was 27 whenever he won his first title with the Pistons. Like I can see Booker continuing to get better, and he's gotten better on both ends, and being more of like a Kobe type winner uh, in the NBA. Yeah, I'm. I'm, actually, uh, I'm fascinated to see. Obviously, if the Bucks win, we know that Giannis will win Finals MVP. But yeah. given that game four, how well Booker played and how poorly Chris Paul played, if the Suns win, like that that finals MVP is way up in the air right now. It is. And I, I would guess that Chris will get it just because it is something that's voted on by the media. And I think that the narrative is like so far swung in the direction of Chris Paul if he's able to get over the hump, right? Right. And it would have to be some overwhelming games from Booker to get there. Uh, But to me, I really don't, just looking at this, and if you just read what history has told us about these players and how young they are, with, I, I would say it's more of a question of when they get back to the finals and not if. Because these, to me, these are emerging stars that are just entering their prime, uh, especially Giannis, what he's been able to do and the way that Coach Bud has been using him. I think that this is just the beginning for him. Uh, I think you can call it into a little bit more question with Booker, but with you know putting a 40 in the NBA Finals, I don't know that I really want to call that into the question. So to me, I think that this is kind of the beginning of something kind of big for both franchises. Yeah, and I think if there was a difference, a lot of people have brought this up, is that Giannis's off nights are still amazing nights. Like you could argue yeah. that his game four was, you know, his second worst of the series, um, but it was he mm-hmm. still put up an incredible line. He still had those highlight blocks. He he still played incredibly offensively and defensively. Whereas you still do have those games from Devin Booker where it kind of seems where where it's it's a little below average in comparison. Um, obviously yeah. both great players, but the level that Giannis is on right now, where he is doing that every single night, um, puts him in a slightly different class for me. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. He is obviously the best player in this series. Oh, like, yes. I don't think that it, there's yes. really any competition for that. Yeah, he, he is. And in a way that it's it still surprised me, even though I knew how good Giannis was. I've still been surprised and impressed with just how good he has been in these finals. And part of that is the injury. You know, he literally got hurt like two weeks ago with, with an injury that you just assumed, okay, he's gone. This is over. Um, so yeah, it's, 
it's been it's just been a crazy ride for the Bucks, and and Giannis's explosion in the finals is a huge part of that as well. It is, yeah. I'm I'm again. This is there's just so much build up for this game five, and like so much history to be written for the NBA. And it's and it's always to me it's always fun when you're writing new history, and it's not just like oh this is for so and so's third title or for a repeat. I think it's always fun to write new chapters. I think the, like the Warriors are one of the greatest examples of that, where they go on to win the title almost in a surprise year. And the Suns are certainly like that. And I think that the Bucks, although they've had like a longer buildup to it, I still think that if you would have told somebody the Bucks were going to win the title this year, they would have been surprised at the beginning. Oh, for sure. I, I think the other thing I, I love about this series and why I think it deserves a long series, because I do think a long series will bring even more people in, um, is that these both of these franchises have such storied histories. I mean, we saw it with the 71 Bucks championship team being at Game 4, seeing Kareem there. Yep. We, we know about the Suns' yep. history with, with the teams during the 90s with Charles Barkley. Um, and, and with the Van Arsdale twins, remember them? I, in fact, the <laughs> 1976 Game 5, Andrew, the Van Ars- I got to see Dick Van Arsdale play. What a treat that was. <laughs> but anyway. What an absolute treat. But yeah, like both of these franchises have these just incredible histories. They have incredible fan bases that have been there a long time. So I think this is this has a potential to be a really memorable finals, depending on how these last three games go. And I'm just so happy that the Bucks won so that it pushes it a little bit further and we have the potential for that. Yes, no doubt. Um, okay, are you ready for some draft party questions, Andrew? Ooh, yes, I'm very ready. If, uh, if you missed last week... Usually we do birthdays at this time, but, you know, it's draft season. So I came up with a new game for Andrew where I give him three names of players who were all taken at the same pick in the NBA draft. He has to tell me what pick they were taken at. I knew he'd be good at this game. I didn't know how good. He went 5-0 and oh last week. Pretty impressive. So let's see if he can make it a clean 10-0. and oh. First names, Andrew. Chris Wilcox. Jamal Crawford. Joe Alexander. Huh. I think this is nine or eight. Ooh, narrowed it down to two. Which will it be? I'll I'll say eight. Eight. That is correct, Andrew. Moving on to number two. Jared Bayless, Andres Bedrins, JJ Reddick. Uh, this is 11. I know Jared Bayless. Is wow. Good. Yes, absolutely correct. I actually th- I was worried that J.J. Redick would be too too much of a giveaway. I have a feeling you're going to nail this one. Josh Smith, Danny Granger, Kevin Serafin. Josh Smith. Oh. <laughs> this is 17, yes? That is correct. 3-0. and oh. yeah. Okay, now they get a little yeah. tougher, Andrew. Tony Allen, Nicholas Batum... Gerald Wallace. These are first round, yes. Yes, these are all first rounders. If you get 10 and 0 next week, I'm going to do some second round picks. <laughs> so that you can Is this lose. 23? Is it, uh, that is incorrect, Andrew. It was 25. Nice. Within two. Okay, last one. Tiago Splitter, Leandro Barbosa, Wayne Ellington. I don't. I honestly don't know this one. Twenty-eight. I don't know, Andrew. This one. That is exactly correct. Wow. Yes. I made the mistake of putting them in uh, numerical order. So if you had caught on to that, you could have narrowed it down to uh, twenty-six oh. to thirty. <laughs> I but did not catch, I did not. <laughs> I thought about them very individually. So. But four and one, <laughs> still not. very good. Hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. We'll be right back after this quick break, and we're going to talk to my guy. Sam Amick. We'll be right back. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. I'd like to welcome Sam Amick to the show. Sam covers the entire NBA for The Athletic, and is just a legend and just uh, a number one great guy. Sam, thank you so much for coming on the show. Andrew, what a nice intro. Thank you for having me. Alex, nice to be with you for the first time. Appreciate you guys. So, Sam, let's first talk about just the finals. I'm watching the games at home, and one of the stories of the finals has been the crowds. As someone who's watched the games both in Phoenix and in Milwaukee, how would you compare the atmosphere and experiences in both arenas? Uh, both very, very good. You know, we Andrew, we talked about it on on shameless plug on this week's tampering podcast yeah. um, about how like the, the personalities are pretty different. Uh, I would probably, I don't know why I would say this now that I'm back in Phoenix, I'm not trying to make enemies out here, but I'd probably pick the bucks crowd because the Phoenix folks are, I don't know if it's the heat or what it is, but they're a little, a little, little edgy and aggressive for my taste, but I think it works for the the team and the players. It's, it's just really, really passionate. And so, and that's the, the outliers are the ones that take it a little too far, but it's just absolutely bonkers for the Suns uh, and their fans. And I keep forgetting what the heck they call the arena. It used to be talking stick. Now it's just the Suns arena um, in Milwaukee. Listen, game four was markedly more uh, just, just vibrant and loud yeah. than game three. And game three was fine. It was good. But game four, it, it somebody tweeted and I believe and I kind of agree that you know the power of hope and belief is a is a big thing and once those fans thought that they had a crack at this thing they took it to a whole new level uh i do feel like in general it is maybe even more so than normal it feels like a home court series like i told somebody earlier today would not shock me to see the suns win by 20 in game five um part of it i wonder the bucks have a lot of playoff experience but, you know, the Suns maybe kind of living and dying with that X-Factor fan crowd, partly because they haven't been here as a group and you have so many young players. But very good crowds. Um, and I know we're turning our attention to Phoenix, but shout out to the Bucks fans for, you know, more than any fan base I can think of other than the Raptors, where the outside crowd, and I think they haven't beat from a volume standpoint. Like you're talking 20,000, 25,000 people outside the arena that is so wild and so i mean i was in a, a lift ride with a colleague the other day kind of mentioned to the driver in passing casually that yeah we're here for the finals we didn't really say like we're media we just said vague and it was first question was oh are you sitting inside or outside <laughs> it was like, <laughs> this is a restaurant yeah. you know <laughs> um and so that's a real thing that's pretty unique and, and pretty cool about milwaukee and I'm sure they would do that in Phoenix if it wasn't 150 degrees yeah, yeah. outside the arena. You know, they'd have that too. <laughs> uh, Sam, as you mentioned, Game Four was particularly memorable. We had Booker's third quarter, the block, Middleton's entire game, that late Chris Paul turnover, the missed calls on Booker. What was the one moment that stood out to you the most watching the game live? Was it the block or was it something else? It was the block. Um, it's crazy though, and you guys know this, like. Watching live, as much fun as it is and as much as you do try to appreciate, you know, and I've had the pleasure of being at a lot of these, you're at the NBA Finals. But it's not. It's harder to, to kind of appreciate the moments live than it is on television. They On TV, they tell you what to focus on. And, and if they miss a moment, then you miss a moment. But the block, you know, I had a decent seat. You know, it's the uh, top of the lower concourse. And, you know, I really saw the block and, and everybody on press row saw the block. And you, you one of those moments where you turn to one another and just go, oh, my God, how did he get to that? You know, and then you watch the replay and then appreciate it even more. So probably the block for me, um, especially because Giannis's night was, um, I thought, really fascinating from the standpoint of offensively still having a very strong night, but not getting to the rim like he wanted to. The Suns packing the paint in the kind of way that forced him to trust his teammates. And so there was like this like angst with his night that you could almost feel like for him where the block, you know, I thought about this. I kind of wish I would have asked him about it. Like there's something unique and special about a defensive highlight like that where he doesn't have to trust anybody 
on that play. That can just be all about this one athlete and something that only he is capable of doing. And so for one little moment, he was in total control of, you know, whether or not he was going to do something positive or negative and it mattered a lot. And he gets to the ball and he keeps Aiden from tying the game and, you know, and then Middleton kind of finishes the job. So probably the block for me. So you mentioned this being a home court series. Do you favor the Suns moving forward to win it all? I mean, I do from the home court aspect, um, but I, I'm torn and I'm, I'm going to completely hedge here. I don't even know what my prediction is at this point yeah. because I think the Bucks have the better team when you're talking about um, the depth and, and really the star power. I know that nobody talks about the Bucks' big three as a real big three, but, you know, at their best, they are. They are all all-stars. They're all... You know, guys that um, – sorry, I'm going to kill the noise there. They are all all-stars. They are guys who play both ends of the floor. And I just think, you know, then you add in some of the role guys who on any given night, you know, can – have been there, the Brooke Lopez's, the Pat Connaughton's, you know, the local favorite, Bobby Portis. So I love what the Suns have. Uh, I would give it a slight edge basketball-wise to the Bucks, but they're so maddening because they're inconsistent. And the other thing that I think is so unique about the Bucks is they, they kind of test the way that we talk about the game, which is to say that like Drew Holiday, when you see a guy go four for 20 in a game five, you kind of just want to say he just, he completely dropped the ball, so to speak, right? Like he, the moment was too big for him, but you need to sit there and go, wait a minute, just because, it's not even just the media, just because the NBA economy is, is uh, structured as in a way that offensive players mostly get paid. Doesn't mean the other end of the floor doesn't matter. So, I mean, Drew holiday turning Chris Paul over the way that he did last night. And the fact that the last three games, Chris Paul is not the guy that he was in game one is huge. And it doesn't show up in the box score in the same kind of way. So you kind of have to, like, I'm finding myself having to really look and all their guys, mainly their big three, and make sure I'm paying attention to the way they impact the game beyond the, the conventional ways because scoring-wise, offensively, they, they'll drive you crazy because they're not very good in the half court and you just think they should be more smooth and more impactful and efficient than they are. But, man, they're so strong in so many other ways too. Sam, we wanted to ask you uh, some questions about free agency. So the first question is a hypothetical. Let's say after the finals are over, you get to take a two-month vacation. You're off the grid. <laughs> no internet, no TV. The only information you get to receive is all the news about one NBA team. You get to find out what that one team did in the draft and free agency, but no others. Which team are you most interested? Which team would you choose for that vacation? Man, and the draft and free agency. See, once you take, I mean, I, if you take trades off the table, and maybe we'll touch on this. I mean, I I would love to to. Uh, I was gonna say to bug Neil O'Shea's phone, but that's very unethical. I would never do that. I would love to be, you know, a fly on the wall of Blazers GM Neil O'Shea. Let's include that's trades. Not any better. Include yeah, trades. Trades, yeah. trades are included. Everything off season for one team. Portland. I just, uh, you know, it, I, maybe I have recency bias. Somebody just asked me about Portland and. We've talked about him on the pod. Um, it's like, man, it's just it, certain subplots don't go away. The Chauncey Billups thing, you know, there's been some local reporting that that brought into question and local meaning in Portland, um, the degree to which the Blazers truly did an investigation on, you know, the incident that Chauncey Billups was a part of in Boston however many years ago. And, and even without going down that, you know, admittedly uncomfortable road, it's like, it, it does seem to be the thing to me that the kind of thing that if you're Jody Allen, who has some, you know, some bad headlines from her past of her own, that it's, it, it's just getting more and more uncomfortable out there. And, and I think some of the pressure um, potentially could continue to be on Neil O'Shea and not only the question of how's your relationship with Damian Lillard and how is he feeling, but, but just the macro of, I mean, Chauncey Billups has a wonderful reputation within the NBA. He's the kind of guy that, was attracting head coaching attention all over the place. And so, but they've not, you know, been, it's, it's not been the knock it out of the park higher that they were hoping for, you know, because of the context. Um, and Damien, 
I just you I would love to read his mind right now. He goes over with Team USA. Uh, they're in Vegas now. They're headed to Tokyo. And I think, you know, by the time he comes back, we'll probably have more clarity on what he's thinking. But that dynamic, uh, it you know, uncomfortable continues to be the word I would use. And I'm just curious to see what direction that goes. Um, draft and free agency, I guess I'm mainly thinking about the draft. I mean, the Warriors and just – and this is regional bias because I live in Northern California and I covered so, you know, so many Warriors finals runs. I'm very curious to see – how quickly they, you know, and they try to turn it around and, and what they might be able to do here, um, you know, on the draft front and, you know, free agency, they got Kelly Oubre's situation to handle and see what else they can get into. But the driving force being all-time players, you know, with, with Steph Curry, uh, Clay Thompson, Draymond, trying to still get this thing done. Um, we don't know when we'll see Clay, but they still believe that they can win a championship and, you know, they have key decisions to make to try to get there. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the Clippers because Kawhi Leonard's injury impacts them greatly and what and what they're going to be able to do in, in the future. And there were such high hopes in summer of 2019 when they made the trade for, for Paul George and brought in Kawhi, but it's left them with a really embarrassing playoff exit and then what looks like it could be two playoff runs stifled by injury. Do you have a feel for what the plan will be for the Clippers moving forward now that Kawhi looks like he's going to be out? Not admittedly, not since the clarity on the injury. But I mean, I, yeah. I I obviously know some of those inner workings pretty well leading up to that point. And it is, it's a tough run because in a vacuum, I think they have every right to feel really proud of the run that they made without Kawhi and Ty Lue, you know, is a guy who I think did improve their team. I think improved their culture and the, the kind of fabric of who the Clippers were this season. Now, granted, we're still access wise, not getting as close as we used to, not even close. So, you know, I'm, I am going off of mainly remote conversations with people within the organization, but things were running pretty well and they were pretty proud to, to get as far as they did because of the injuries. But now that kind of, charming little story where you you know all the attaboys that are going on with good reason like those go away and, and it's the realization that you lose a guy like Kawhi to an ACL tear that I believe is a grade two um yeah that that's a game changer and he's obviously coming up on free agency you know I have no reason to think that what's expected there has changed in terms of them re-signing him and him wanting to stay we all know that he wants to live and, and work in his home Southern California region but um, Steve Ballmer is not the kind of guy who goes quietly into the night, so to speak. He's just as active and aggressive as anybody and has the deepest pockets on the planet almost. And so um, there's going to be changes of some sort. I just don't know what. I don't know um, what trades they might try to get into. You know, Pat Beverly, I think, did unofficially say goodbye to his Clippers tenure with the way that he went out against the Suns and shoving Chris Paul down to the floor. You know, but that's a subplot from there. I don't know, because I, you know, they have a ton of belief in the Paul George Kawhi Leonard pairing, um, you know, what you have around them. I think the coach is going to remain the same. The front office is very well regarded around the league and very deep. And, and I don't know all the numbers, but I get the sense very expensive in terms of you almost have three or four different guys that you're you're uh, you're treating like quasi GMs salary wise. So um, they've invested a lot and it hasn't paid off yet. And, and that's just, you know, injuries are a brutal part of the game. Okay. Yeah, we yeah we heard your full answer. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll just start with – this is the last question. Um, one other player that is obviously coming up a lot is Ben Simmons, um, obvious trade candidate. It was reported by Shams this week that the Sixers are fielding offers for him, but that the price is high, someone near all-star caliber status. How likely is it that Ben wears a Sixers jerseys again? And if he is on the team, what kind of changes could we expect? It's hard to tell. I mean, the only data that we have regarding Daryl Morey, you know, now second year Sixers executive and where his head might be at in relation to Ben is that when he was known to be in the James Harden trade offer last season, that he, he went to great lengths to publicly indicate that he wasn't willing to trade Ben. And so he was trying to salvage that group and didn't want Ben to think he wasn't 
part of the program long term. And, you know, executives run into this. It's hard to do that and do their business, but then kind of fiend loyalty in that kind of way. Um, but point is, like, James Harden was the threshold. Like, yeah, I'll give up Ben for James Harden. So anybody other than Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal at this point, you know, I don't know who's number three on that list. Um, you know, even my neck of the woods, there's been some reporting about the King's interest. Well, certainly, like I guarantee you, Monty McNair, who, by the way, used to work right underneath and right alongside Darren Morey in Houston, that he would love to, to get his hands on Ben is age track fits with the De'Aaron Fox, you know, a couple of years ahead of Tyrese Halliburton. Problem there is you can't get a Ben Simmons without giving up one of those guys. I don't think it's going to be a Buddy Heald situation. So there's, you know, scenarios like that all over the place where it looks great for the team that gets Ben, but I don't know what moves the needle for Philly to, to right. you know, to pull the trigger on something. But it's also, I, I think it's, uh, so you got to repeat, you just don't forget how, bad things were at the end for the Sixers. I do think, again, the Sixers aren't going to want to show their hand on this front, but as far as just their collective spirit and their culture and the feeling that they were all left to kind of sitting with, with the way they went out with Ben just clearly being overwhelmed by the weaknesses in his game and the, what Joel Embiid might've thought about that and what some of the other guys might've thought about that, even Doc Rivers. You know, it seems fairly untenable that they would just bring the whole bunch back. And so I think there's got to be an urgency there. But Daryl's a deal maker. You know, I, and it's funny because, not funny, but coming off the end of his Houston tenure, and I've written a lot about this recently, I guarantee you Daryl Morey is not in a mood to make another bad trade because he's well aware that the Russell Westbrook trade for Chris Paul looks pretty bad in hindsight. And yeah, so, right. you know, but that was a thing where, with the end, you know, his Rockets tenure was at a point where he was getting a lot of pressure from Tillman Fertitta and from James Harden to trade Chris. And it was a little bit, I think, of that, that deal was a, a somewhat of a product of their not-so-great environment. This is still the front end of his Philly tenure. This is when he's supposed to go make all that money that they gave him and, and luring him to town, um, which kind of underscores that reality that, you know, he's going to want to win this trade uh, as opposed to something like the Westbrook deal. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub an official partner of The Athletic. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f***ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Don Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Well, Sam, thank you so much for answering our questions, and we hope you enjoy Game 5. But it is now time for Andrew versus The Beat, our weekly trivia show where Andrew goes head-to-head against a beat writer, in this case, national NBA writer Sam Amick. Now, Sam, I am uh, obligated to tell you that when we started this trivia, Andrew started off 0-11-1. He was terrible. <laughs> he has since won seven in a row. Wow. And so he is now 7-11-1. The theme this week, continued from last week, is the NBA Finals. So these are all questions about the NBA Finals, except for one question I threw in about the Sacramento Kings. So how this works, there are eight questions. You will give me a number between one and eight. 
corresponds to a tribute question. It may be easy, it may be hard. If you get it right, you'll get two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one. We'll go back and forth until all the questions have been answered. So, Sam, start us off with a number between one and eight. We'll go with seven. Okay, question number seven. California and Texas have combined for 23 total NBA championships. Who are the only three Western Conference franchises to win an NBA championship that weren't from California or Texas? Okay, I'm Portland's one. Um, why well, I'm the Kings won one back in Rochester, I believe. Did I get either one of those right? Uh, I'm not going to tell you until you give me all of them. Oh Lord. Well, then the Timberwolves are confusing because I don't know if we attach them to the to the Lakers franchise. We probably don't. I think those titles are going to the Lakers, correct? Uh, well, yeah, the ones that were won in L.A. Right, but I feel I'm like saying you're, that you're getting the answer out of me. <laughs> uh, that's all I got. Portland and Minneapolis Lakers. Okay, well, that was uh, two of three. Two, uh, maybe, maybe right, maybe wrong. <laughs> Um, Andrew, you have a chance to steal for one point. Is this Portland, the Lakers, and the Warriors? That is incorrect. The Warriors are in California. But they weren't, were they not in Philly? Was that not a thing? They were were in the Eastern Conference, maybe. Uh, Yes. The one Uh, that Sam would have never gotten by looking at the standings, the Seattle Supersonics. Oh, Lord. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Andrew. (laughs) Your turn. I'll go with number one. Number one. All right, number one. Here's an easy one. Did you know, this this actually isn't part of the question, did you know that this is the first finals in NBA history to have three different players with a 40-point game? That's pretty impressive. Which player has the most 40-point games in finals history? Most 40-point games in finals history. Hmm. Is this LeBron? LeBron James. That is incorrect. (laughs) Which player has the most 40-point games in NBA finals history? I mean, I, I I guess sometimes the obvious one is the one. I guess I'll say Michael. That would be obvious, but I never asked the obvious questions. It was Jerry West. He did it 10 oh, times. Man. Wow. 10 times. Okay. Know? Uh, Yes, I think he had, he had six or eight. Okay. Him and LeBron. One of them was six, one was eight. Okay, Sam, it is your turn. Still zero to zero. Number three. Anyone's game. There are four players in NBA history who won the finals MVP in their first season with a team. Now, for this one, you're going to get one point per correct answer. So there's you could get you could possibly get four points here. You just have to tell me who were the players who won the finals MVP in their first season with a team. Well, damn, I got one. So Kevin Durant. That is correct. In 2017. I'm trying to think after the so after the Kawhi trade. I think Kawhi would be two. That is correct. In 2019, it's two points. Um, I'm grasping at straws at this point. I guess I'm done at two. Okay, Andrew, you have a chance to steal. Was it Andre Iguodala's first year with the Warriors that he won it? Uh, No, it wasn't. Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> the other two answers, Moses Malone, 1983 with the Sixers. And Magic Johnson as a rookie. As a rookie. Oh, oh man, that one we should have got. That one we should have got. Drew, Andrew, it's yeah. your pick. Uh, let's go five. Okay, so Andrew will go first. I set the NBA Finals record for most steals in a game with seven, which is also the number of championship rings I have. Who am I? Is this Robert Ory? That is correct. Robert Ory, 1995. Two points for Andrew. We have a tie game. Alex, by the way, the way you phrased that, I was envisioning you with seven steals in seven championships. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't quite get there in my mind. <laughs> okay, Sam, it is your turn to choose a number. We have a couple questions left. Uh, number eight. Number eight, my favorite question. You've picked the Sacramento Kings question. Now, hey. I couldn't have Sam Amick uh, appear on Andrew versus the Beat without adding one Kings question. For this question, I chose a random Kings team from the past 15 years. 
And I'm going to have you and Andrew attempt to name as many players from that team as possible. Now, the team I chose was the 2012-2013 Sacramento Kings, coached by Keith Smart. The Kings finished that season with a 28-54 and record, and we're going to try to name all the guys who played on them. So, Sam, you're going to go first, then Andrew. We're going to go back and forth until you can't name any more Kings. This will be short. Uh, <laughs> uh, DeMarcus Cousins. That is correct. Andrew. 12-13. Um, 12-13. Tyreek Evans. Tyreek Evans was on the Kings. Back oh, to Sam. Man. That took away. I forgot the timeline. I thought it was an Isaiah Thomas team. That means it wasn't. Who else? Tyreek. We got Francisco Garcia. No, he's out. Yes. Yes. Oh. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> I got to. I got to give it to you. Francisco Garcia is correct. Andrew. Uh, Thomas Robinson. Thomas Robinson is correct. Look wow. at all the kings these guys know. Okay, back to Sam. This might be too late. Was Ime Udoka? Oh, that is incorrect. Um, you were trying to show off with your king's knowledge. I was. That was earlier. <laughs> uh, some of the names. Uh, well, actually, Isaiah Thomas was on this team. Ah. Uh, so Jimmer. Yeah, no confidence. Jimmer as well. Chuck Hayes, James Johnson, Tony Douglas, Aaron Brooks, Patrick Patterson, Marcus Thornton, Jason Thompson, John Salmons. I some great names. Thompson and Salmons. Yeah, Jason Thompson. Yeah, How did they staple. only win 28 games? I don't know. So many names. So many names. Okay, Andrew, you're now up by one, three to two, and there are three questions left. I'm getting competitive now. i got to break Andrew's streak. Uh, two. Question number two. As the Bucks Suns series rolls on, the conversation will inevitably lead to the question of finals MVP. Who was the first NBA player to win two finals MVPs? So they were the first to do it twice. Do you, can you tell me the year they started doing the finals MVP? Uh, no, you should know that. You're an NBA fan. <laughs> <laughs> Loving the, the niceness with which Alex roasts us. Yeah, uh, I'll say Wilt Chamberlain. I don't know. Wilt Chamberlain. What a great guess. Uh, no, it's, that's incorrect. Uh, <clears throat> Sam, you have a chance to steal for one point. Well, somewhat in the same vein, and I'm taking a crack mm -hmm. at it, uh, Mr. Lou Alcindor. A great guess. He did do it once in between this guy doing it twice, and that guy was... Bill Russell. Willis Reed. Willis Reed. Yeah, I wouldn't First to do it there. twice. How many, what about Bill? What's Bill's number? Uh, Well... Finals MVP didn't exist before 1969 because That's right. Jerry West was the first to win it as in a losing effort. And okay. so I don't know if Bill Russell ever did win one. I know it's named after him. I think I that's why think it's named did. after him. I don't think he did. That's why it's named after him. It's, he's the king of not getting love for all the things he did because they weren't counting blocks either. Okay, Sam, uh, four or six? Two questions left. Let's do four, please. Okay. This is perhaps the easiest question I've ever asked on Andrew versus the Beat because it's a 50-50 shot. Question number four. Which NBA conference has won the most championships? Is it the Eastern Conference or the Western Conference? And if you get it wrong, it's an automatic point <laughs> to Andrew because there's only one other guess. You got a 50-50 shot here. And if you get it right, you move up on Andrew by one point. I'm going to go Eastern Conference. Sam, that is... Correct! The Eastern Conference, 38-34. to 34. Andrew, you are now down one going into the final question. You have to get this right okay. to keep your winning streak alive or you go back on the losing streak. Question number six. See you wiping sweat off your brow, Andrew? Are you feeling the pressure right now? Absolutely, yes, I am. Well, he's been, he's been doing so well. And it's honestly been pissing me off, so we'll see what happens. Andrew, name all three players who won a finals MVP with multiple franchises. LeBron is one. You don't sound very confident, Andrew. I can hear your voice crack. Just thinking. Can I not think? Am I not allowed to think? Kawhi is the other one. There's one more. We have a buzzer here. I think we should have a time. Oh, I'm Sam, count stop. Like Let me go back and honest. time all yours, and I'll, I'll, I'll title them. <laughs> Two, that three, that four. 
All right, Andrew, we need an answer. I know. You gave me two names, LeBron and Kawhi. Who would you like to choose for your third? Calling the can we call can we, Kareem? Kareem? Luau Sender Kareem? Yes? Okay, so your final guesses are LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yes. You're correct. Andrew, that is correct. That's correct. Yes! yes! Darn it. Andrew wins his eighth week in a row, five to four. Yes! What a battle, though. Oh. Thank you, Sam, for appearing on Andrew versus the Beat. But the last two-minute report came out, oh. and you took way longer than 10 <laughs> seconds. Oh, no. Your, your win's in jeopardy, Andrew. Oh, no. It's being contested. Uh, Sam, thanks so much for coming on the show. Be sure to follow Sam on Twitter. Read all of his stuff at The Athletic. And listen to the Tampering Podcast every Tuesday right here on The Athletic NBA Show. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Sam Amon for coming on the show. Alex, before we go, I'm going to read a couple five-star Apple podcast reviews. This one is from Kay Lacey or Clacy56. It says, Andrew, slam through. Anything with Andrew is amazing. Can't wait to see for the next slam and jam. Hashtag thunder up. Thank you so much for the review. And this next one comes from Z Rolling. Says the Saturday Slam and Jam is quickly becoming my favorite basketball podcast. I had honestly never heard of Alex or Andrew before this show, but they're both great. Their chemistry is noticeable, and the show is the perfect combination of entertaining and informative without taking itself too seriously. Plus, I'm a sucker for trivia, so it's just a great listen every week. Thanks so much for leaving those reviews, and you too can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and it will be read on the pod. Listen to Nerder She Wrote. That drops tomorrow on Saturday. Huge thanks to Dave DeFore and crew for uh, switching days with me. It's been great doing this on a Friday, and we'll talk to you guys again next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.